Welcome everybody, it's Nathan here, clinical psychologist and I'm the host of this podcast. So in today's episode, continuing the spirit of interviews and conversations with quite inspiring colleagues, researchers, people who are committing their working life to improving the well-being of nurses and midwives, I speak to Tiffany Hood, who is a researcher who's done some really wonderful work looking at the experiences of nursing students when they experience critical incidents whilst doing their training. So we're going to dive into this conversation with Tiffany and she'll tell us all about her research, but it really touches on something that I believe in, something that's really important in the kind of work that I'm doing, is really looking at how we can better prepare nurses and midwives for the potentially traumatic and definitely very stressful experiences that many people encounter in their working life Whilst Tiffany's research that we're going to talk about focuses on nursing students, really her findings, as far as I'm concerned, are applicable to qualified nurses and midwives as well. So she talks about how better preparation, but also how better support is needed in the aftermath, the days, weeks and months for people who've been exposed to traumatic and highly stressful incidents in the workplace. And of course, this is really important for students who are often very fresh. They may not have had much even life experience, but it's also really important for anyone, right? Everyone deserves to have preparation for this kind of work and everyone deserves better support after they've witnessed something in the workplace from their colleagues, from their organisation. The timing of these episodes coincides nicely with some work that I'm doing over here in the UK, working with some local universities who provide nursing and midwifery courses. And I'm providing some workshops and training to to help those individuals who are undergoing that training to be better prepared from an emotional perspective. So talking about and reflecting on perhaps some of the realities of what they're going to face, some of the positive experiences but the realities of some of the negative experiences and equipping them with some tools to help them manage those emotional experiences and discussing with faculty staff and other nurse leaders about how they can better support their students. So this episode will have a appeal to far-ranging audience if you're a nurse educator this is definitely for you If you're a nursing or midwifery student, this is definitely for you. And this conversation will have relevance and hopefully resonance for anyone who works in an organisation where there is exposure to traumatic or stressful incidents. Before I leave you to this conversation, the final thing to say is if you're listening to this and you would like to get more free resources, videos, articles and watch some live conversations that we have as part of Nurse Wellbeing Mission, live conversations with nurses and midwives about their their own experience in the field then come over to our free facebook group you can just type it into facebook search for nurse and midwife well-being mission and come join the community there so i now bring you tiffany hood welcome to the nurse well-being mission podcast hosted by me nathan illman This is the place where nurse and midwife well-being are at the top of the agenda. Each episode aims to help nurses and midwives around the world flourish through informative, inspiring and practical content and conversations.
So, Tiffany, thank you so much for joining me on the podcast. Um, if you could just start by telling us a little bit about who you are, where you work, and and, and what you do. Certainly. Uh, my name is Tiffany Hood. I currently reside in Utah in the United States, and I've been a nurse for 22 years. I'm currently working as a nurse in the operating room at a level one trauma center, and I am an assistant professor of nursing at Weber State University in Ogden, Utah. And I also have background in emergency nursing, in pediatric nursing and cardiology and adult mental health. So you've got a real, real varied background. And when did your research career take off? When did you get interested in doing research? Um, I didn't go into research on purpose. <laughs> I had always wanted to be a nursing instructor. I've always wanted to teach and was a little bit disheartened when I found out that in order to be a professor, you have to have a research degree. <laughs> and so, um, honestly, I hadn't had any plans to be a researcher, but as I went into my graduate education and started taking research courses to prepare to be a professor, I fell in love with research and I realized that it's something that I really enjoy. So the topic that I'm discussing today, that came to be clear back in 2013. That is a steady idea that, that um, came about because I was teaching a clinical rotation at a hospital and there was a student in our clinical rotation that I couldn't find anywhere. I had, I had gone to check on her and I couldn't find her. And when we eventually found her, she was back in a back corridor in a hallway, um, kind of by the storage rooms, uh, hiding. And she was backed up against a wall. She was very pale. She was having a hard time talking. She looked very shaken. And she had just witnessed a, a big trauma in the emergency room. And you could visually see that it had affected her in a very significant way. And she wasn't able to continue her clinical rotation that day. We had to send her home because she was so distressed that she wasn't able to function. So that was kind of the initial point where I really thought, wow, these types of situations that students see when they're in the hospital can be traumatic for them. And it got my, my interest going in student mental health and the importance of, of better preparing them for critical patient events. And if you don't mind me asking, how about yourself? So when you initially did your training, did you experience any I suppose, difficult, challenging, highly stressful incidents that I suppose may have paved the way for this, this kind of research as well? Or was it more of the experiences you had later on in your career and with students that you were mentoring or educating? It's more the stories that I heard later. I was, I don't want to say lucky, I guess, as a student. The, my experience, I kind of dodged a lot of those big traumas and patient deaths when I was a student. So I never experienced anything that to me was traumatic, but I did hear a lot of stories of colleagues who told me things that they saw when they were students that were shocking to me. And I realized that it's much more common than I ever realized, but it, it didn't occur to me until I started teaching and I was in the hospital with students that these types of stories just came out of the woodworks from other faculty members or from other students or from the students that I had. It links in with something you mentioned in the paper actually around 
the mixed picture students might get. So sometimes being warned that you're definitely going to see this thing and sometimes then maybe conflicting information, someone saying, oh, no, no, it'll be fine. That's not going to happen. And then obviously for the unlucky few that it does happen to, that kind of conflicting messaging has not been particularly helpful. Sure, of course. There there was a student who talked about that in this study about how her faculty told her these types of things are rare. You, you probably won't see any of this. We'll talk about it in class, but you won't see any of this. And then she did. She saw a major trauma and it was extremely distressing to her and she wasn't mentally prepared to see it because she was told that it was something that was so rare, which I think years ago it was, but it seems like ever since the pandemic, there is more patient death than ever and patients are more critical than ever. And we're seeing more and more in the last few years, these extremely distressing critical events more than we've ever seen in the past. So it's become more of an issue in the last few years, I think. Yeah, certainly. Um, in the article, in the sort of context, you discuss the difference between critical incidents and traumatic incidents. And I guess that's quite an important distinction to make, isn't it? So would you be able to just talk a little bit about, about that? Yeah. Um, so a critical event is a word that's used in the literature to describe a lot of different types of events. So anything that's distressing, anything that causes a a person to completely use up all of their coping skills, um, something that could lead to a psychological crisis. Um, there's a lot of different things that kind of are grouped into that, that category. Um, a critical event could even be a medication error. There's a lot of things that are, that are tied in, in the literature that people call critical events. In this article specifically that we wrote, we defined critical events as um, events that are a potential risk to life or limb um, or an actual perceived, either a perceived threat or an actual threat to one's life. Uh, so things such as um, anywhere, anything from domestic violence to a mental health patient who becomes mentally unstable to codes and resuscitations and, um, you know, maternal hemorrhage. So anything that that is a threat to one's either mental or physical health. Right. And in the, the paper that we're, we're going to talk about, well, actually, I mean, this is probably a good opportunity. Should we just, do you want to just give a snapshot summary of, of what the article is about? And then we'll go into a bit more detail. Sure. Uh, this is a, a study that was done to evaluate and kind of analyze what students go through when they witness what we describe as critical events in the clinical setting and what causes psychological distress versus psychological trauma and how students reach psychological recovery if they are able to reach psychological recovery. So we did this study. We, well, I should say I interviewed uh, 14 nursing students who had seen within the last 12 to 18 months a critical event in the clinical setting they described what they witnessed. They described their coping mechanisms, their recovery, some of the things that they had wished that they'd known before they witnessed the event. They described faculty interactions with them or lack of. They described interactions with the nurse they were assigned to that day or lack of. And just kind of their overall thoughts and feelings related to the event itself, how they felt in the moment, how they felt right after, and then 
in those weeks and months and even up to a year afterward, how well they were coping. Were they having flashbacks? Were they having nightmares? Was it affecting their personal life? Were they having anxiety and depression? So through this study, we were able to kind of put together the data and Darcy helped me as well. As we analyzed data, we came up with this theory and this model of psychological distress and recovery. And um, since then, the research has continued. I'm finishing right now about recommendations, but I've been able to travel to many, many conferences all over the country talking about this and learn even more from others. Um, and it was a really powerful eye-opening experience to realize that we as faculty really don't know what our students are going through. We really don't know what their home lives are like. We don't know if they have a support system at home. We don't know if they have a mental health diagnosis that could affect their coping. Mm. Um, and so because of all of the factors that we don't know, we need to make sure that we're preparing them ahead of time in our curriculum and in our simulations and our skills labs. We need to be preparing them better uh, mentally to be able to handle these types of events when they occur. And then we need a system in place or after they occur to support them for weeks, months, up to a year, however long it takes to make sure that they don't experience psychological trauma. We, we want to prevent psychological trauma in our students. I, I'm, I'm totally on board with the idea of psychological preparedness and, and teaching people some, some skills and um, setting expectations and that sort of thing. I think there's just such a, a lack of that that happens. Um, it something that I was I couldn't help thinking it's probably the psychologist in me um as I was reading through the article I was thinking gosh these students I, I expect they actually had quite a positive experience of having you interview them and, and provide a, a safe comfortable space to talk about this so obviously it's a piece of research you're doing but it reminded me of when I was doing research 10 years ago when I was doing my uh, research PhD and I was working with people with epilepsy and it was all running experiments, assessing memory difficulties and that, that kind of thing. But I, I got a sense that it was therapeutic just being with, with me. Um, yours was obviously much more in depth, asking them questions about how they felt about things. So did, did you get a sense of that as you, as you were doing the interviews and spending time with them? Yes, definitely. And we, part of the recommendations paper that we're coming out with really emphasizes the importance of talk therapy and reflection and journaling, talking with peers, talking with other students, talking with faculty, talking about the event as much as you can because of how therapeutic that can be. And many of the participants in this study after our interviews were over and the recording had stopped, they, they stayed for quite a while just to talk and thank me for taking the time to let them talk and how helpful it was for them to be able to process the event again. Yeah, that's fantastic. Would you be able to just tell us about some of the questions you asked then? So there, it was a semi-structured interview, is that right? So what kind of questions did you ask? What information were you um sort of trying to, to get from, from the students that you interviewed? There was a list of questions that I had, but I found that I didn't really have to use them very often because people really wanted to just talk. Mm -hmm. So some of the questions that were prepared just in case people needed them were things like, uh, well, I always started with just tell me a little bit about what you witnessed or what you experienced. And I just let them talk. But some other questions that we had 
prepared were things like, um, what do you wish you would have known before this event? Um, we asked them about their faculty's involvement in the event. Was your faculty member there or were you there without an instructor there? What was your interaction with the staff nurse that you were assigned to? Um, what was your preparation in your nursing coursework that helped you prepare for this event? Or what nursing coursework do you wish you had had to prepare you for this event? What were some of the things that you weren't um, expecting? And a lot of things that came out of that were that students really based their ideas on critical events from television and movies and really had this perception that a code or a rapid response is what you see on TV. And that was distressing for them because in some of these events, the patient was never defibrillated. Um, and that was distressing for them feeling like they were watching this event and feeling like the doctors weren't doing everything that they could. And why weren't they doing everything that they could? Why aren't they defibrillating? Why aren't they shocking them? And going home without the answers to those questions and really not feeling prepared, not knowing that not every situation can be healed with a defibrillator. Um, so some of those types of questions. And then we asked them, what did you do after the event? What were some of your coping mechanisms? What did the faculty do? What did the university do? Um, who did you talk to? Those types of things. But, but really, for the most part, we didn't need, or I didn't need, to use very many of those pre-prepared questions because people talked sometimes for an hour, sometimes for an hour and a half, and they just wanted to tell me everything on their own. And so it was, it was wonderful. I, I enjoyed the experience of interviewing them so much because I felt honored that they trusted me with these sensitive issues and these unique experiences that they would had. Hey everyone, Nathan here. Just a quick break away from our conversation today. Just to say if you're a nurse educator or you're someone working in an organization with an interest in nurse well-being and you want to find some ways to provide better preparation and support to your nurses and midwives, then why not head over to our website at nursewellbeingmission.com to check out the work that we're doing and some of the workshops and training that we provide. You can have a look on the website and you can find out ways to get in touch with myself and start a conversation to see how we can start better preparing and supporting your team. Okay, let's get straight back into this great conversation with Tiffany now. I guess it's uh, it's quite diagnostic of the need to discuss things, isn't it? The, the fact that you didn't really have to ask much and they just wanted to, to pour it all out and perhaps it's, uh, it represents the lack of that support or lack of opportunity for that that they might have had in a in a that kind of contained setting absolutely yeah something that i found really interesting that you wrote about was a significant uh, a number of the the students that you interviewed had previous history of trauma or mental health difficulties and we need to bear that in mind don't we that many nurses well i mean many people in the population have experienced or witnessed uh traumatic or stressful things but also mental health is very common mental health difficulties are very common could you just talk a little bit about some of the things that you drew from that in terms of recommendations or things to be aware of with students yes and i want to define the numbers oh it's right here yeah 
nine of the 14 participants had a prior history of trauma, either death of a family member, death of a child during childbirth, suicide of a fellow student nurse, witness to abuse, prior mental health diagnosis. So some of the prior mental health diagnosis that they chose to share with me, I didn't ask, included depression, anxiety, post-traumatic stress disorder, social anxiety, panic attacks. So nine of the 14 just in this one study had a prior history of something that in one way or another affected their experience. And that was eye-opening. And that is why I feel that we need to be more sensitive to a student's background. And of course, we can't ask them about a mental health diagnosis. We can't ask them those types of questions. But what we can do is ask them to analyze themselves and ask themselves, do I have a mental health diagnosis? Do I have a home support system? Do I have any sort of negative coping mechanisms? What do I do when I'm stressed? Do I turn to alcohol? Do I turn to uh, family? What do I do when I'm stressed? We can ask them uh, these types of questions to analyze themselves and better prepare them before they enter the clinical setting just so that they can be aware that sometimes some of the things that we've experienced in our past may affect what happens in the clinical setting. So a good example of that was that one of the participants had lost a child during childbirth. Mm. And when she was at clinical, the event that she witnessed was an infant resuscitation, a, a neonate, a newborn resuscitation. And she described how difficult it was to sit in the delivery room and to watch this mother's anguish as they were resuscitating her baby and doing chest compressions and the baby was blue and how in her mind, she was reliving her own trauma of watching that with her baby when her baby was born and her baby didn't survive. And in the clinical setting, the event that she witnessed, this baby did survive, luckily, but she hadn't thought until that moment about this experience from her past and how it might affect her mentally in the future. So it might be a good idea to ask students about, not, not ask them about their past experiences, but ask them to analyze their past experiences. And then if they feel comfortable sharing with faculty, if they have something that they feel like maybe faculty should know, then to let faculty know so that we're aware when we bring them on these clinical rotations, just in case there's a situation where one of their past experiences might be triggering to them. I mean, it seems that there's a really quite nice structured activity that could be embedded within education there, isn't there? It's, it's going to be beneficial for, for everyone to some extent, because reflecting on how your past might affect the, the things that you're about to experience is, is going to be useful. And then if it's done in a standardized kind of way, it, it, it makes it easier, doesn't it, for the students and also for the staff who didn't, it can be quite awkward or quite confronting sometimes having to talk about mental health if you're not really trained in it. But if it's standardized, it's a bit easier to train people, isn't it, to, for them to be able to pick that up. Yes. So we're working on a program at our university right now that we have just started discussing that we're hoping to start in the fall where we're doing clinical self-risk assessments where the students assess their own risk. They're given a worksheet to fill out. We are implementing some early intervention in our didactic courses where we're gonna start talking really early about traumatic stress and burnout and 
secondary traumatic stress and all of those from the very first semester of nursing school rather than waiting until later Mm -hmm. and working with our faculty to better train them on debriefing methods so that our faculty who are in the clinical setting can be prepared with resources on how to talk students through events and how to debrief them immediately after. So we're going to start implementing this and hopefully we'll get to, to see some more positive outcomes and then go from there and really see what else we need to do after that. And, and a lot of what we're doing will be in this next paper that Darcy and I are working on. It's just about finished, but we we've written a lot about the same things that we're going to be implementing at our university, my university, Darcy works for a different university. Um, some of the things that we're going to be implementing at Weber State University and, and a lot of the things that I recommend based on the study. I should say, actually, that when you're referring to Darcy, Darcy is your co-author on this article that, we, that we've been discussing. Yes, Darcy. Darcy is at the University of Northern Colorado. So she works in Colorado, which is about six hours from me. And I am at Weber State University in Ogden. Um, Darcy is the one who helped me through this study. She's very knowledgeable in grounded theory, which is the method that I used. And she was wonderful in going through the interviews with me. I would analyze them and I would pull out the data and I would try and um, find the major themes and try and build the model. And then I'd give it to her and she would analyze it a second time and give me feedback. And together we were able to narrow it down to these 10 themes and really get a solid model. So I am forever indebted to her because of her knowledge and her expertise in grounded theory. She she was wonderful in this whole process. And the result is is really great. I mean, the, 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 there is such a sense of coherence and th- that theory, the model that you you've created. It, it's it's a pleasure reading the the paper and some of the the quotes that you provide from the students. But I think I've got it in front of me. This the model that kind of ties it all together is is really great um so i wonder if you could we've obviously kind of jumped around a little bit and talked about a few things but would you be able to summarize the the stages and 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 i guess your synthesis of, of that interview data then well there are 10 major themes um that i could go over and then the relationship between those themes can really be best visualized with the model Some of the themes affect other themes. Some are all encompassing. Um, And so that's where the model really comes into play because it, it shows really what affects what, (laughs) and it's drawn in a diagram form where things on the outside affect everything within. So lots of circles and arrows, but the 10 themes that, that came out of this study are relationship of trust, preparation, coping and resilience, finding a role and role conflict, clinical instructor and nurse presence or active presence, in-event stress response, post-event stress response, debrief, isolation and validation, and the aftermath. So those are the main 10 themes, although you'll see a little bit more than that in the model. Those are the main 10 things that, that came out of this study. And if you want, I can just briefly describe each one. Sure, I could talk about it for hours, but I'll do my best to summarize <laughs> Yeah, we're, good. we're obviously going to put a link to the paper and, and recommend that listeners do go off and have a read of it because it, it is great. And, and like you said, with the actual visual in front of you, it makes more sense. Yeah. Please, please go ahead and, and yeah, just to summarize. 
So relationship of trust is the first theme. And that came about because a lot of the participants described a relationship of trust with their faculty member or with the nurse that they were assigned to that day and how important it was that they have a relationship of trust with someone in the facility so that if this event occurred, they would have someone that they're comfortable talking to and being vulnerable with during the event. So relationship of trust Students described either having a relationship of trust and knowing that faculty member and having spoken to them and gotten to know them in class and how comfortable they felt and how grateful they were that they were there. And then some other participants talked about how they didn't have a relationship of trust with their faculty member. They didn't feel comfortable with them. They didn't feel like they could be open and vulnerable or debrief with them or share their feelings and emotions and how that negatively affected their coping because they didn't feel like they had someone that they could talk to. Uh, preparation is a, is a pretty big theme and that is preparation that encompasses everything from birth till the event. (laughs) So upbringing, religion, prior careers, um, it also included nursing school. So the things that they did in nursing school to prepare them, the skills lab, the simulation lab, the things that they talked about in class, pretty much everything in their past that prepared them for this one event. And students described some ways that they felt they were prepared, but for the most part, they described how they were not prepared. They did not feel prepared. Some of them described how they would go to simulation and it didn't seem real to them. Um, They would describe how in simulation, there's always a happy ending. We always save the patient and, Mm -hmm. and everything's okay. And in real life, most of the time, the patient doesn't survive one of these, especially codes. Um, And so they weren't prepared like they felt like they could have been. Um, a lot of people described how in nursing school, some of these more critical events aren't talked about during the entire first year. Sometimes they're not talked about until the second year or the end of the second year, but these events can happen on day one of clinical. You could go into a nursing home and a patient could suddenly stop breathing on day one. And so they, they described how a lot of the things that they felt they they should have known they didn't learn until later on, even a year after the event. Uh, coping and resilience. That was a theme that came about because of the talks that, that participants had with us, well, with me about how this event really built their resilience and really helped them gain coping skills. And a few students talked about how they felt like they did have some coping skills of Going into the event because of prior careers, one of them had worked in the operating room for years and she had seen a million patient deaths and she had seen amputations and she'd seen all these things and she just felt like she was, she had great coping skills and then others didn't. Um, The next one, finding a role, that, that was an interesting theme that I wasn't expecting. A lot of participants described how when this event started, the first thought that they had in their head was, what am I supposed to do? What do I do right now? Do I stand here? Do I watch? Do I jump in? Do I care for the patient? Do I give medications? Do I do chest? What am I supposed to be doing right now? And this initial shock of, I don't know what my role is. And so in the paper, it describes how important it is to debrief if possible or to pre-brief, excuse me, to pre-brief and to, if you have time to have a conversation with the student and really come up with a role and let them know what they can expect ahead of time. The next one, clinical instructor or nurse active presence is one of my favorites. Um, This theme came from talks with participants about how 
even though you have someone in the room with you, that doesn't necessarily mean that it's beneficial. What you need is someone who is actively present, someone who is, is supporting you, who's standing right next to you, who's giving you feedback, who's telling you your chest compressions are great. Just go a little bit faster or go a little bit slower, just a little bit deeper or standing right next to you and explaining they're putting in a chest tube right now. And here's why, and here's what the patient's vital signs look like. And here's why, and they're not defibrillating the patient right now. And here's why, and here's what they're going to do next. So it's someone who can be a mental support, but also can educate during the event and really give the rationales of what's happening and why, and how important that was for their coping. They really needed that. They needed someone explaining almost a play-by-play so that when the event was over, they were better able to cope because they understood the rationales of what was happening. Uh, the in-event stress response is a, is a gathering of all of the testimony of what people felt and what people thought during the entire event. And that was really fun to listen to them and to learn how different everybody is. Some people were excited. Some people were terrified. (laughs) Some people wanted to run away and run out of the room. Post-event stress response is similar. That's the feelings that they had right after the event. And the post-event stress response across the board was pretty similar. People were in shock. People needed time to process. They really needed time to walk around and to think and to have time to breathe. Yeah, sure. um, Right after the event. Uh, three more. So debriefing was the next one. And in the paper, and especially the next paper that we have coming out, we talk about how, how important debriefing is and how you really need to debrief right after the event occurs. Even if it's short, you need to sit down with them and let them talk and let them express their feelings and answer the questions that they have. Um, and how getting a really good debriefing after the event, how that impacted their coping and really gave students the opportunity to process and the people who didn't receive a debrief were much more likely to experience the psychological trauma that we're trying to avoid. Um, Isolation and validation is another theme. That's a theme that was pretty universal where after this event, students felt isolated. They felt alone. They realized that they had experienced something that no one else had experienced that no one else could relate to that was this unique experience all their own. And it almost made them feel lonely because you can't talk about it at home. You can't talk about it with your family and friends. Even if they're in the medical field, they don't exactly understand because they weren't there. And it was another theme that I really wasn't expecting, but that makes sense. It makes sense that after you experience something, this life altering, that you would have a period of really feeling isolation, mental isolation and validation. We tied into that because students just described how they just wanted to know that they were normal. They wanted to know that what they were feeling was normal. They wanted to know that any feeling that you're feeling is okay. But there's nothing wrong with you if you're super sad for a long time. There's nothing wrong with you if you suddenly cry for no reason. There's nothing wrong with you um, if you're feeling these emotions. And it definitely doesn't mean that you can't be a nurse. It doesn't mean that you're not strong enough. Um, it means that you're human and that you care. Um, and students really needed to hear that, 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 that they were going to be okay, that they could still be nurses, that they were still cut out for the medical field. Yeah. You haven't failed. (laughs) Yeah. Uh, there were, there was a student who talked about how I signed up for this and I should be able to be tough enough to handle this. Yeah. Yeah. And how 
impactful and almost sad and heartbreaking it was to hear that, you know, I signed up for this, so I should be tough and I should just be able to handle this. And, and I, I should just get, I should be able to get through this. And I think a lot of students probably have that mindset that, you know, I went into nursing, I should be able to handle all of these things. So that was a pretty big one. And then the aftermath just kind of talks about their experiences after the event, which sometimes people were okay after a week or so. Some people really weren't okay even a year after. They were still not okay. Um, so the aftermath is is pretty much everything that happened to them from the time they went home until they really felt like they had reached psychological recovery. It really sounds like for, for people listening to this, for, for RNs or student nurses listening to this, something to bear in mind is that variation is the norm, right? Everyone has completely different reactions to things. There is a, a vast array of different emotions people can experience in the wake of these, these kind of events. The way people cope with them is completely different. People's needs afterwards are, well, they are very different, although there is that underlying theme that you, you just mentioned about wanting validation and normalization. I think that's a, that's a, a deep a sort of need that we all, all have. Um, and just to know that we're not, you know, weird or different from, from other people, but um, yeah, for people listening, I guess it's just bear that in mind, you know, you're, you're okay. And your response might be different to your colleagues or another students, but that's all right. Because you have a completely unique set of circumstances that like your preparation phase, right? Like it's from birth up until that point. Yeah. And you really don't know what others are going through. So we really need to encourage students not to judge one another either and just be supportive of one another. Yeah. So Talk to us a little bit about the wider implications of, of all of this. And and I guess something that's probably important to consider as well is what are some of the barriers to some of the things that, I suppose, the practice points that lead on from this? In your own experience, perhaps where you work and more generally in the nursing profession, what are the barriers? I think one of the biggest barriers is knowledge. I think we just really don't know the impact that these experiences have on students, even if we debrief with them in a post-conference or something after a clinical experience, they may not choose to share everything. Mm -hmm. So I think we just, we need to be more aware. We need more knowledge to really understand that these students sometimes go home and they cry for weeks and they have nightmares and they have flashbacks and they are distracted in class and they can't concentrate. And these experiences can affect them far more than we think that they do. Another barrier is that we as faculty are often the experts and we've reached this level where these types of events don't affect us anymore and we have to be careful and we have to go back and we have to remember what it was like to be a student. We have to remember what it was like to have never seen a hospital before and remember what it's like to have never experienced um, these situations and really put ourselves back in the place of the student to think if I had never been in a hospital before, or if I had never heard of this before, what would I be thinking right now? I, I always like to ask people really what their advice is to students, to student nurses or, or people considering going into nursing. Oh, the students. My mm -hmm. advice is that whatever you're feeling is normal. Whatever you're feeling is okay. And that's not coming from me. That's coming from one of my participants in this study. And that's, it's almost word for word. She said, just know that whatever you're feeling is okay. Another participant really recommended, this is from a student, that they talk to the other students. They talk to their peers. 
and they, they gain a relationship with their peers so that they can talk about these experiences with others who really do kind of understand because they're in a similar situation. And another recommendation for students would be that if you experience something that's really hard for you, to reach out to your faculty and let them know. Because most universities have resources. Um, I don't know about other countries or even other states, but here in Utah, most of the universities around here have mental health services within the university. They have a student health center that you can refer people to. We have a list of resources that we are now giving our students with phone numbers, crisis hotlines. Um, we have a whole list of places that they can go even after hours, even in the middle of the night phone numbers that they can call if they really feel like they need help and they need someone to talk to. So step one though, is to reach out and to not be afraid to make a phone call or to go up to a faculty member and say, I'm struggling and I need help. So I can understand that that would be hard to do uh, a lot of students in this study talked about how they didn't want to be judged by faculty. They didn't want the faculty member to feel like they were weak or that they weren't cut out for this or that there was something wrong with them. So I would say that your faculty members are empathetic and that you need to take the first step and really reach out and let people know when you need help and that it's okay to go get help. It's okay to talk through these things and that you're not alone. You're definitely not alone. There's a lot of other people who are probably feeling the same feelings that you are and going through similar things that you are. They all sound like fantastic and very tangible recommendations. And I think a lot of people listening to this will find that very helpful, um, very validating and just in informative. And hopefully that will lead to some people reaching out when, when this, this has happened. Thank you so much for talking with me today or this evening for me and this afternoon for you. Um, it's, it's been a real pleasure. And I think it's, yeah, it's been really great to go through this particular article and talk about something that's very close to my heart and something I believe strongly in is this preventative work, but also really around the emotional curriculum and making changes to help prevent the later uh, development of mental health difficulties in nurses. So... Thank you. Thanks for your time, Tiffany. Thank you. Thank you so much for having me.